0: Life Audio. Is it hard to spark meaningful conversations with your kids? Whether you're a homeschool hero, planning activities for the next family vacation, or simply gathering around the dinner table, we've got something that can help. Introducing the Daily Family Conversation Starter by best selling author Katie Clemens. Don't wait to transform your family's daily routine into an adventure of discovery and fun. Grab your copy of The Daily Family Conversation Starter today, wherever books are sold.
1: Take a minute to visit RachelCarman.com and join the community of Real Refreshment listeners who are taking the dare to be in the word as a top priority in the journey of motherhood. All right, let's kick off this latest episode of the Real Refreshment Podcast. Here's your host, Rachel Carmen. Hey
2: there, everyone. It's another beautiful day in Carolina, and I am here to continue on. In our discussion and study of the Gospel of Mark, we will pick it up today in Chapter 6, right after this. Okay, the Gospel narrative according to Mark continues, and we pick it up this time at the beginning of Chapter 6. That's our only focus. All 56 verses in the 6th chapter. And again, we are looking at an active Jesus. We are looking at the Son of the Father sent to pay sin's price, a price that neither you nor me could ever have paid. This is the love of God poured out on all of us. And so we see Jesus Coming and living, we've already seen at the beginning of the chapters of Mark that we've already looked through, the beginning of his ministry, and we're just walking through this gospel and trying to see what we can learn as we do a really close reading of the gospel of Mark. And we're focusing in on the things that Jesus did. What actions did he do? Because again, I believe that there's so many things that we can learn from studying the life of Christ. After all, we are to be transformed into his image. He is the ultimate example of how we are to live. And so as we look at the book of Mark, knowing that the whole perspective of Christ here in this gospel is the action-oriented Son of God. This is Jesus on the move. It would behoove us to really look closely at what we see Jesus doing. And then secondarily, what is... It look like for people to respond to Jesus. And so we're going to see several of those things in our study today. Again, in the sixth chapter, you can go over to rachelcarman.com and pick up a study guide that studies a little bit more in depth than we're able to cover here in our podcast time together. But let's get started right here in verse one of chapter six. So it says, Jesus went out from there. Remember, at the end of chapter 5, he healed Jairus's daughter, right? So after that, it says he went out from there, and he came into his own hometown. Now, I just want to ask you, have you ever gone home? You know, there's something pretty glorious about going home where you know your way around, where you're known, people know you, you drive by this, you remember when that was just a field, right? You... People recognize you maybe when you go into a store or certainly at church. Maybe you even have the luxury of going into your old high school and people recognize you there or an old place that you used to work, right? This is home. It's comfortable. Maybe it's more just going maybe to your parents or to a lake house or a beach house or a place you often vacation together. There's really nothing like going home. And so that feeling that you and I experience, and I've got to tell you, I love it when my kids come home. Now that we've launched all seven, there's something very sweet and dear and anticipating them coming home. And when they're actually home, the memories we share, the laughter that rings through this house, it's a glorious thing. And so Jesus had that experience right here at the beginning of chapter six, we see it says that he came to his own hometown and his disciples followed him. Over and over and over, we see in the Gospels the disciples following, following, following. And that is the same thing that we are invited to do every day to just keep following Jesus. And if you dare to study that, if you dare to trace where they followed him, the circumstances, the people they met, the challenges, the obstacles, the confrontations, sometimes he was welcome sometimes the situation turned dark and dire and sometimes it was surprisingly positive just looking at all of the different situations that the disciples followed Jesus into there's a le- real lesson there for you and me because far too often you and I think that if we're following Jesus everything's just going to a rose path and and that's not true there were many challenges that the disciples faced But I would say to you that very often what we see in the example of the disciples is that they were just focused on following Jesus. So sometimes they knew where they were going, sometimes they suspected what was going to happen. But very often I believe they were surprised by what actually transpired. So here's another occasion that just simply says, and the disciples followed him. And so on the Sabbath, here we are on another Sabbath. Again, I've already assigned that as homework. To look at all of the different Sabbaths that Jesus ministered. What did he do? Who was with him? What was the response? Here's another one it says, Another Sabbath, and he began to teach in the synagogue, and many listeners were astonished. But as we continue on, it kind of turns. They started to say things like this. I'm picking up now in the, still in verse two. Where did this man get these things? And what is this wisdom given to him and such miracles as he's performed by his own hands? Isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Jonas and Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. I think this is a significant passage for us to look at today because very often this is our response to Jesus. Basically the crowds are saying, yeah, you know, what he's saying is really remarkable. But who does he think he is? I mean, this is the carpenter's son. I mean, that's his mom, we know his brothers and his sisters, they're here with us. I mean, this is this is just Jesus. What what's this? And they were offended. All too often, you you and I think we know who Jesus is, and there are occasions when he does, says, or requires something of us as we study his word and his life that is offensive to us because we take the stand, well, Jesus wouldn't ask me to do something hard. Jesus wouldn't ask me to do something uncomfortable. Jesus wouldn't ask me to do something I didn't want to do, and we're offended Because he does. He does consistently ask us to step outside of our comfort zones. He does consistently ask us to do things that we don't want to do, like die to ourselves and serve others. That's exactly what he asks us to do. And yet, we often, even when we get who he is, will be offended that he would ask us to do that. But he hasn't asked us to do anything that he himself has not already done. He laid down his life on the cross of Calvary to pay our sin debt. He paid the ultimate price. And he's asking us, just as we see the example again of the disciples, to follow him. Jesus responds to their offense in verse 4, saying, A prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown and among his own relatives and in his own household. In other words, far too often we settle into thinking we know we've got everybody figured out, right? And when people go through substantial life change and transformation and they, we see them actually being transformed into the image of Christ, it can be offensive to us. Because their change, right, means that I have to change the way I think about them. And you know what? It might even mean that I come under conviction of the Holy Spirit and I need to change. Because you and I want to think we've got everybody figured out. We've got ourselves figured out. And we kind of just want to keep everybody in their boxes. And that's not biblical. We are all called to walk in mercy and grace, forgiveness And kindness toward one another. And we are all supposed to be on a journey of sanctification. Being constantly changed into the image of the son of God. And yet right here Jesus goes yeah. I I mean I come home. And y'all don't get who I am. Or who I'm becoming. And we need to give each other the space to continue to grow. And continue to be transformed and changed. We shouldn't all be the same person we were last week, or the week before, or the year before. We ought to be changing. We ought to be leaning into the molding work of Christ, such that people are like, wow, she's changed in the most possible way. Not because we've become arrogant, but because we've become even more humble, realizing, realizing all of the work that's yet to be done in our hearts and our minds and our souls. Living in an attitude of gratefulness for what God is doing in and through us. That's the change that he promises. And that's the change we have an opportunity to lean into. It says that in verse 6 that Jesus wondered at their unbelief. Just You can see him just shaking his head going, wow, wow. Moving on then, it says he gathered, starting in verse 7 now, he gathers all of the 12 together, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Remember all of the disciples. He gathers them together to send them out in pairs, and he gave them authority over unclean spirits, and he instructed that they should not take anything with them but allow all of their needs to be met as they go. So this is really glorious. So we know... We know that Jesus has come, he's gathered these 12 as disciples, and he's really pouring into them, right? And he knows what they don't know. He knows that he's going to go and he's going to leave them. And so right here, we see right here in the book of Mark where the first time that Jesus brings them together and he sort of sends them out on a mini mission trip to go out, And do what you're going to need to do when I actually go back to the father. But right now, I just want you to go out just for a little bit. And I'm going to give you authority to cast out demons. And I'm going to give you the authority to heal. And then I'm going to call you back to myself. And so that's exactly what happens. They go out, right? And they preach the message of repentance. And they heal people. They cast out demons. And they're able to heal the sick. And on the other side of that, right, I'm going to skip a passage and we're going to come back to it. On the other side of that, God, Jesus gathers them back together, right? It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Now, there's there's something in the middle of this John chapter 6 that I'm I'm not sure I understand why it's placed here. I believe the recounting itself is significant. So we're going to jump back into this. Passage. It's verse 14 actually through 29, right after this.
0: Is it hard to spark meaningful conversations with your kids? Whether you're a homeschool hero, planning activities for the next family vacation, or simply gathering around the dinner table, we've got something that can help. Introducing the Daily Family Conversation Starter by best selling author Katie Clemens. Don't wait to transform your family's daily routine into an adventure of discovery and fun. Grab your copy of The Daily Family Conversation Starter today wherever books are sold. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists. The way we measure time social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org slash impact.
2: Okay, so picking back up, we've already looked at Jesus making a visit at home and people really not getting who he is and he's really disappointed at their disbelief. Then he gathers his 12, gives them authority to heal, sends them out to go on a, a trial run of their, what's going to be their ministry ultimately when he goes back up to heaven. But then there's this passage of these verses 14 through 29 Where the fate of John the Baptist is recounted. So you'll remember John the Baptist was the forerunner of Christ. He's the last of the Old Testament prophets, you could say, doing exactly what the Old Testament prophets said, and that was coming with a message of repentance, calling people to repent of their sins and to get right with God. And that's who John the Baptist was, and he did that really, really well. He was the forerunner of Christ, and he had his own disciples. And yet when Jesus shows up on the scene, he is another pointer. Remember, all of the Old Testament patriarchs and then the prophets are all pointing forward to Christ. And John the Baptist is no different. When he's got all of his disciples, people are coming out. He's baptizing in the, in the Jordan River. And when Jesus shows up, he points the people and his disciples to Jesus and says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin, Singular whole, all of the world. They questioned John. John had an opportunity to try to capitalize on his own popularity and to expand his own platform, right? They came to him and said, are you the one? And he's like, no, I am not the one. Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John was a pointer to Christ and he pointed his disciples and the people to Christ. Well, then John fades literally into the background and we're left to wonder, well, what happened with John? Well, this is where we find out what happened to John. And basically, King Herod, who was king at the time of the province, he has a wife. But his wife, Herodias, was actually his brother's wife, Philip's wife, first. And Herod takes her as his wife. And John the Baptist, in true prophet form, calls Herod out on his sin and basically says, yeah, you shouldn't be doing that. You should not take your brother's wife like that. Well, this was very curious to Herod. He was not a little intimidated. And I think the prophets did have sort of an intimidation edge. You'll remember that John was dressed in camel skin and he ate Locust and wild honey. I mean, he was, he was a character and he was bold and he was calling out for all of the people to repent. And Herod made that list. And very specifically, John called him out. Well, Herodias was not too thrilled about this. And Herod ended up putting John the Baptist in prison. Seriously. And yet he was curious about him. And Mark notes that he kind of liked to listen to what John had to say. But Herodias, it says, had a grudge against John. She didn't like that John the Baptist was telling her how to live her life. I'm wondering if this sounds even remotely familiar to some of the kickback people give to God and his word today, right? So, John was literally just the messenger. He was just announcing the truth of God's word, and he wasn't wrong, right? Herod had done wrong. He shouldn't have taken Herodias. And so Herod's curious, but Herodias is ticked. She does not appreciate that John is still alive. She holds this grudge. And some one thing that I think is notable here in this is, Just like love is never passive, hate is never passive. If you know that there is someone that you literally hate, that is really not something that is good for your soul or your heart or your mind. And ultimately, it is not something that you can keep to yourself. Hate is never passive hate always has an outplay. And we're going to actually get to that in a a future study of this gospel. But for now, you need to know that that hate is active just in its nature. And we see that Herodias holds a grudge and she constructs, orchestrates a circumstance so that she can give full vent to her hatred of John the Baptist. So here's how this goes down. It's Herod's birthday. And here's the deal. The word of God is anything but boring. You cannot make this stuff up. The narrative and the stories and how these work out is truly captivating the stories that are in the Bible. So Herodias, when it is Herod's birthday, arranges for a big party to happen. And she sends her daughter to dance for Herod. Now, I'm I'm not going to suggest how that went, except that it pleased Herod, the Bible says, so much so that he rashly offers this girl whatever she wants. Yeah. Yeah. So that was foolish, and that was rash. So the girl goes to her mama and says, what do you want? He says, I can have anything I want. And this is Herodias's moment. Her plan has worked perfectly. And he tells her, she tells her daughter, go and ask Herod for the head of John the Baptist on a platter. So this is one of those places where you've heard the phrase somebody's head on a platter. This is where that comes from. It actually comes from the Bible story of when Herodias manipulated the murder, the execution, the beheading of John the Baptist, using her daughter to dance seductively before Herod. And Herod, not wanting to embarrass himself in front of his party guest, because he had so rashly extended a whatever to this girl, kept his word and sent that John would be executed. So that's this story here in the middle of chapter 6 of Mark. It says then that his disciples, John's disciples, this is in verse 29, heard about his execution and came and took away his body and laid it in the tomb. Then we pick up, and again, it just seems sort of um, abrupt here, because again, in 7 through 13, Jesus gathers his disciples and sends them out. And then we have this recounting of John the Baptist in these verses. And then in verse 30, it's like we're back to the story. So again, I don't exactly understand that, except that I do think it's important for us to know what happened to John the Baptist. But picking up in verse 30... It says that the apostles gathered together again. So they've gone out. He sent them out. They went. They cast out demons. They healed. And they come back to Jesus. And you can just imagine their awe and wonder. They came back and they're like, you're not going to believe what we did. You're not going to believe. We went out. We did what you said. We called people to repent. And this is what happened. And I can just imagine that they're just overwhelmed. They're just like, oh, wow, wow. And they're just so anxious to tell Jesus everything that happened. And I don't know about you, if you've ever gone to a retreat where the Lord just really moved, or maybe you're in ministry, or you teach a Sunday school, or Bible study, or whatever, moms, I know that we can sometimes have just remarkable days with our children where we really just feel like this. I've got to write this down. Someone's got to know this was a great day. And sometimes we just need time to step away and really reflect and just soak in all that God has done. Sometimes, way too often, we have some remarkable answer to prayer, some celebration right And instead of sitting in it, instead of soaking in it, instead of really letting it just get into our marrow, we rush off to the next thing. And I find the next few verses just so powerful because I really think this is, if any of us need an invitation to know, step back and soak in the celebration and the answer of prayer and the movement of God, this is it right here. And that is here in verse uh, 31, after they've come back, they've reported to Jesus all that they had done and taught. It says that Jesus said to them, come away with me by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. This is beautiful. Too often we get all caught up in the busyness and we think we've just got to go to the next thing. We say sort of a quick, thanks God for doing that. And we just move on. But right here, we have the words of Christ saying, no, no, don't rush on. Come away with me by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. Step away from the madness. Step away from the crazy. Let you and me, Jesus says, let you and me step away and you get some rest. So I hope that if if that's something that you need to do, I hope that you'll take Jesus up on his invitation to do this. It says in 32 that they went away in the boat to a secluded place by themselves. I love that. I love that. Just a few weeks ago, my husband and I had a chance to do just that after a a time of ministry and, and really fighting through some stormy water and weather on a personal level. God provided for us literally a couple of days away, and I'm just so grateful. And I just really want to encourage you to do the same thing as you see your need and as God extends the invitation. We want to pick up then again in 33, and we have this familiar passage, I'm thinking probably for many of you, the feeding of the 5,000. So they've had this time of ministry, they've had this time of rest, and then it says the people started coming and it's just remarkable they they recognize who Jesus is and they want to be where Jesus is and i just want to ask you do you want to be where Jesus is do you want to be where the people of god are because there's an enthusiasm here as this crowd is gathering that i think We ought to investigate. Are we excited about getting together with other believers? Are we coming in anticipation of what he is going to say, how the spirit's going to move? It says that Jesus saw a large crowd and he felt compassion for them because they were like a sheep without a shepherd and he began to teach them. You need to know that when we gather in his name together, we will be taught by his Holy Spirit. Then after some time of teaching, the disciples come to Jesus and they're a little concerned and they say, this is a desolate place and we um, need to send the people away because there's nothing here for them to eat. And I love verse 37. Jesus simply answers the disciples and says, you give them something to eat. You know, there are many things that to me are missing in the biblical narrative i mean i want to see the looks on their faces you know i want to see the cock of the head i want to see the twinkle in jesus eye i want to see him like looking into their soul there's so many things here that we don't really get but in this moment in 37 i i just sort of see jesus just going will you give them something to eat and the disciples looking at, looking at him like, what are you talking about? What, what do you mean, right? Because here's the deal. Jesus has just fed the crowd with his teaching. They came to listen to Jesus, and he just fed them. But the disciples respond in the second half of 37, and they say, "Um, shall we go and spend 200 denarii on bread and give them something to eat? And he responded, Jesus says this, how many loaves do you have? Go look. So again, Jesus is really asking deeper. He is asking them to think. He is not giving them the answers. He's inviting them to participate. He's, he really wants them to. To not jump to the ordinary conclusion. And I want to suggest to you that that's true in your life and my life too. Way too often we find ourselves in circumstances where we just want God to do something. We just want him to intervene and do something. And I think these questions are, are very much in line with what he would say to us were he here. I think he'd say, you do something about that. You... You attend to that. You seem to think that this is an issue. What can you do about that? He says to them, How many loaves do you have? Go look. In other words, don't assume. Go look. What do you got? Do you know what you have? You seem to know what the problem is, but do you know what you have? Here is a truth from this passage. Here's something that we need to learn based on this teaching. God never asks us for more than what we have. But he does always ask us for all that we have. See here, the the disciples aren't wrong. There is an issue. It's late. It's crowded. It's a desolate place. And tummies are rumbling. And they're like, we need to send these people away. And Jesus sees this as a moment. He sees this as an opportunity. They don't see it that way. He's trying to get them to see it that way. He's trying to show, if you'll just give me what you've got, I'll do the rest. I'll take care of the rest. And so it says, they found out what they had, and they said, five loaves and two fishes. And Jesus is like, game on. He commanded them all to sit down. And it says, he took the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up to heaven. He blessed the food. He broke the loaves and he gave it to the disciples. Wow. So here's the deal. What do you got? And are you willing to bring it all to him and let him do what only he can do? It says, if you skip down then into verse 42, that all, they all ate. The whole crowd ate. They all ate, but better yet, they were satisfied. But wait, there's more. It says in 43 that they picked up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and also of the fish. 12 baskets full. One for each disciples. This is exceedingly abundantly beyond what they could ask or think. There were leftovers. Wow. I think if you dare to contemplate on it, there have been times in your life where God has gone above and beyond what you could ask or imagine. You were not only satisfied, but there were leftovers. There was abundance spilling over. Right. This is that moment. Next we have picking up now in verse 45, it says immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. So here again, we see Jesus on the move. We see Jesus intentional. He is headed somewhere and he's, he- he's sending the disciples on ahead of him. And he says in verse 46, I love this. After bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray. So don't miss this. Jesus, if we back up a little bit to verse 7, he gathers all 12 of them together, sends them out to ministry. They come back and he says, "Okay, now we need to get away and we just need to rest together because of that ministry. That was powerful. Then here we step immediately into the feeding of the 5000. Right. Don't miss the fact that Jesus invited the disciples to participate with him in what he was doing, not just in them actually finding out what they had and bringing it to him. But after he did the miracle of the multiplication, he gave it to the disciples. They participated in handing it out to the people. Okay. So this is the second time of ministry. This Jesus with the disciples, he sends them on their way. And what does he do? He goes to a secluded place to pray. So this is two examples of the importance and the value of us getting away to spend time with the Father. In 47, it says, when evening came and the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on land. So just to remember where everybody is, the disciples are in a boat, and Jesus is on a mountain. In 48, it says this, seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them, and about the fourth watch of the night, He came to them walking on the sea. Someone out there listening needs to know that if you're straining at the proverbial oars because the wind is against you, you need to know that he sees you. And you need to know that he's coming to you in a miraculous way. He is not blind to your predicament. He is not blind to your effort. He's not blind to that. And he's coming to you. Of course, they see him coming, and they panic, right? They think this is a ghost. They cry out, and they're terrified. But he says, take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. And then he gets in the boat, and they're astonished but get this, in 52, meditate on 52, see if this applies to you. I can tell you honestly that this has happened in my own life. It's life. It says in 52, they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. The point of verse 52 is to say, look, we need to make sure we don't forget what God's already done in our life, how he's blessed us abundantly to the point that we have leftovers. But all too often we experience a miracle. We experience healing. We experience answered prayer, right? God does the only thing he can do, and that is glorify himself and grow us. And then we forget it the next time. We don't roll it forward. We don't let it change us. We don't let it influence the way we think or see or act or do, right? And that's what it says here about the disciples. Even now, even just a few verses later, they've forgotten about the loaves and the fishes so quickly. Now we've got them on the other side. 53, it says that they crossed over and they came to Another seashore where they moor the boat and they get out and immediately the people recognized him and ran and they begin to carry and bring people asking him to heal them. Again, we end this chapter similarly to how we began. People recognize, they see who he is. They want him to do something miraculous. How do we respond to who Jesus is? Do we run to him? Do we fall to his feet? Do we bring those that we know need him because we know he can make a difference in their life circumstance, in their heart? Do we dare to embrace who Jesus is and follow him as his disciples? We'll pick up in chapter seven next time.
1: Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you have a question or comment, we invite you to send it to info at rachelcarmen.com. And while you're at Rachel's website, check out her wonderful resources, including the Word in Motion Bible curriculum. We want to take a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on the podcast. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you'll find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. Moms, more than ever, we really do need each other. We need to be challenged, and we need accountability in the word. Thanks for joining us, and we'll catch you in the next episode of The Real Refreshment Podcast.
0: Well, the physician comes in and says, tells this lovely couple, hey, your son's not going to make it, but... There's a young girl here in the hospital who just delivered a baby girl and she's given
1: her up. She's going to leave her here. Do you want her instead?
0: That was chart topper Ryan Stevenson sharing a personal testimony on The Walk, a podcast for worshippers. Join us weekly to hear artists, songwriters, worship leaders, filmmakers, and other creatives tell their stories in the form of a devotional. The Walk can be found on lifeaudio.com or your favorite podcast platform.